It is a great morning to be with you. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans who have served our country faithfully. Thank you for your service. Let's give them a round of applause this morning. Veterans Day weekend this weekend, and um, it is important for us to honor them. We are in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been there for quite some time. We have only journeyed to chapter number three, but we will continue to journey on as we continue to understand um, who Jesus is. And no different um, all the way through the text, Mark, the writer of this gospel, is showing us who this Jesus is. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning, which is, who do you say the king is? You see, last week we saw that Jesus has named his 12 disciples whom he has chosen to be with him and then send them out to preach. And now he goes home as we pick up in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. The other gospels tells of Jesus and what does he do after he chooses the disciples is he goes to the Sermon on the Mount and the teaching that he does. But Mark kind of skips over some of the teaching. Remember, he's the Twitter version, so he gives us the highlights here, and he goes straight to tell us either you are in the family of God or you are not. You are in or you're out. You are for the Christ or you are against the Christ. There's no middle ground in the kingdom of God. And that's the story that we come to this morning, which raises the question, who is this Jesus? And how do you explain what he has done? You see, Mark has been showing us through the first three chapters all along who Jesus is. He begins with Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He declares to us who Jesus is. And then he goes later on to show that John the Baptist, the one who is before Christ, who prepares the way for Christ, says that he is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Who can baptize in the Holy Spirit but God himself? And then he shows us that a voice from heaven will say, you are my beloved son, as the Spirit of the living God descended upon him. Then you come to a text in which the demons declare him as the Holy One of God. And Jesus says he is the son of man, the eternal, that his kingdom will have no end. A word in the Old Testament from Daniel. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has the authority on the earth to forgive sins. So over and over again, through Mark's testimony, over and over again, through Jesus' own works and his own testimony, Jesus himself is telling and showing us that he is God. 
But the scribes come down from Jerusalem, and we're going to read this text this morning, but I'm setting it up for you so that you have an understanding of what you're reading. They come to a different conclusion, one that fits their own agenda. You see, they cannot deny the power and authority of Christ, what he has done already in the healing and the casting out of demons. So instead of believing who he says he is, they say his power and authority come from Satan himself. Interesting, right? They attribute the works of God to the devil, thus rejecting the clear revelation through the work of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 and 21 describes these leaders or shepherds greatly. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. So as we read this scripture, I want you to continually have this thought in your mind. Who do you say the king is. Let's read the scriptures together in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 this morning. If you'll stand in honor of reading God's word, we come to the middle of a text here after Jesus has chosen his disciples. He says, it says in the text in verse 20 of Mark chapter 3, then he went home. No doubt to the home of Peter and Andrew there in Capernaum. And the crowds gathered again so that they might not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. You may be seated this morning. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, <clears throat> the truth of your word this morning. And Father, we 
may we heed the warnings that we see in this text of the hardened hearts of those who do not believe the work of the Spirit of the living God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he has come to bring salvation from God. Father, may our hearts be um, opened and our ears be attentive to what you have to say through the text of the scriptures this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of you may know uh, a name and been familiar with a name. His name is Walker Moore. He was a writer for the Baptist Messenger. He was a longtime um, Baptist in our state and carried on ministries throughout the state. He was a pastor for a number of years. Um, he recently passed away, but in 2013, I came across an article this week, and I love when people do incredible things, right? Like, I love when people do incredible things. And we have some incredible people in this room who have done incredible things for the kingdom of God. Amen? But I was reading about Walker Moore, and at uh, 61 years old, in 2013, he got the crazy idea to celebrate his 40 years of ministry by climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. 19,341 feet in the air. You can see the curvature of the earth from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. The largest and tallest freestanding mountain. Everest has mountains surrounding it, so it's not the largest freestanding mountain. Because of its sub-zero temperatures, a lack of oxygen, most climbers are only given a 50-50 shot of making it to the top. But Walker Moore didn't want to just celebrate 40 years that God had given him in ministry and in preaching the gospel ministry faithfully for 40 years. But he wanted to to do it by taking a 12-foot wooden cross to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. He said, with the cross on top of it, my odds of getting to the top of the mountain went way down. (laughs) So in 2013, for six days, his 14-man crew took five-minute turns carrying this cross with the wheel on the bottom of the cross, 41 miles of hills, sand, and sharp volcanic rock. They would have to climb 2,000 feet and then come back down, stair-stepping their way in order to get acclimated to the altitude, all while trying to scale with a 12-foot wooden cross. And you think to yourself, and he did it. He did it. He actually went with his son and 14 other men. They're actually, their party became 30 because people started joining them and carrying this cross up the mountain. And um, you kind of ask yourself, why would someone do that, right? Like, what is the purpose of that? why would some people do what they do 
for the kingdom of God. And in, in Walker's heart and mind, he was honestly just giving thanks to this great God for giving him a ministry. And the cross was just a representation of his grateful and thankful ministry that God had given to him. He actually, he actually fell behind at one point in the, in the journey helping someone else who was trying to get acclimated to the oxygen level. And he said, there goes my cross as it, as it was way up in front of him. And he remembered the Lord telling him, that's not your cross. It's the next generation's cross now to bear and to carry as his son was carrying the cross up the hill. But what would drive a man to do that? I mean, when you look at the disciples, right? Why would they leave their careers and their family, their job, their livelihood, tax collectors and fishermen? I mean, even in in our own body, we've seen some incredible things happen in our body. Like, why would David Cottle leave his cush job Lots of money to come be a pastor at Northwest. Why would some of our people apply to be in the IMB and go overseas to unreached people groups? Why would Dwayne and Deanna Hunt at their ripe age go across the world to tell people about the family of God? Why would our 385 members of our church give approximately $1.1 million a year to fund the ministries of this church? Why would somebody go through, we have multiple people in our congregation, rigorous theological studies in order to be a pastor? Why would some of you open your homes to people in their community groups or or teach or lead people in community groups in our building and bear burdens with them? I guess the only conclusion is we've come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Our lives are thanksgiving unto the Lord. Because we believe that Jesus is God. Really, what you believe about Jesus and who he is determines what you do with your life. Really. Who do you say the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is? Is it Jesus? We'll see in this text. Let's look at it together. Verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. This is our first point this morning. We see it here in this text. The king is either a lunatic a liar, or he is actually Lord. The king is a lunatic, which his family says here, a liar, and which the scribes say and attribute him to Satan, 
or he is truly who he says he is, the Lord God Almighty. C.S. Lewis actually popularized this idea in his book, Mere Christianity, in 1952. The idea that Jesus was just a good teacher is preposterous. Right here in the text, his family says he is out of his mind. The scribes who place Jesus in the same category as the father of lies, Satan himself, say that Jesus is a liar. But the conclusion to the disciples and to us today is that he is God. C.S. Lewis said in his book, either this man was and is the son of God, Or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to be, to me, obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. End of quotes. In 2020, Lifeway did a state of theology of the American people and, he, and they surveyed the American people and the study revealed that 52% of the people in America believed Jesus is just a good teacher. That he is not God. 52% of the American people So extrapolate that over your community. 50% of your coworkers, 50% of people at your school, 50, over 50% of your neighbors live as if Jesus was just a good teacher. That he has some good things to think about. Unfortunately, one-third, the study showed that one-third or 33% of evangelicals, those who claim to be Christian followers, adhere to the gospel, or maybe go to an evangelical church, don't believe he is God. That's an incredible number. One-third of the people that claim to go to church that say they're following Jesus believe he was a good man and has a bunch of good sayings. They don't believe he was God. And the ramifications of this are what we see in the church, a big C church overall. Why? Because we see the church is dying. People are confused on what it means to follow Jesus. A weak and watered down gospel. A new generation who is looking for answers in all the wrong places. My friends, who Jesus is matters. 
Why? Because it determines how you live your life. Will you live for the glory of God or will you live for the glory of man? Let's talk about Jesus here and his family for a moment. It says they came to take him by force. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For he, they were saying he is out of his mind. The crowds, the healings, the, the people, they, they don't know what to think. For 30 years, they've been with Jesus. They've seen Jesus as a carpenter. And we don't have any recorded miracles until after the baz- baptism of Jesus. Obviously, Mary, his mother, understood who he was since the angel had visited her. But the brothers and sisters are like, this is wild. This is too much for me to deal with. And they come to take him away. But after the resurrection, Acts chapter 114 tells us that it was his mother Mary and his brothers and sisters who are in the upper room with the disciples awaiting the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, praying for the Holy Spirit to come. So his family right here, who would think that he was crazy, would witness who Jesus was. They would witness the miracles. They would witness the resurrection and they would become followers of Jesus. Some people believe right now, maybe there's some in this room that believe that Jesus has lost his mind. just like his family did at this time. This is a logical place to be with someone who claims to be God. And yet, the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and minds to open their eyes to see who Jesus was. And they would become his followers But the person claiming to be God can definitely not just be a good teacher. He can't just be someone I just give a nod to and then go on with my own life. They will come to the conclusion, the family will come to the conclusion that he is God. And they will follow him to the ends of the earth. Then you have the scribes, the people who have studied the scriptures and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and the prince of demons. He cast out demons. They're supposed to be the ones who are leading the people to follow the way of God, follow the law of God, follow the scriptures. They're supposed to know the scriptures. They're supposed to be shepherding God's people. And Isaiah speaks of the irresponsibility of the shepherds of Israel when he says in Isaiah 56, 11, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. 
So the Pharisees in chapter 3, verse 6, it says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They are plotting on how to kill Jesus. And the scribes are coming from the big town, Jerusalem, to share how they're going to kill Jesus, how they're going to destroy. This is their plan to destroy Jesus. They're going to say that he is from Satan. Verse 22, let me read it again. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. Beelzebul, which is originally from the Canaanite god Baal, Baal Zebul in the Old Testament was something to the effect of the prince of the dwelling place, the ruler of the house. Interesting terminology. The Old Testament, we see the title of Baal Zebub, in which the Hebrews changed its name from Baal Zebul to Baal Zebub. In the Old Testament, to say this Canaanite God is the Lord of the flies or the Lord of the dung. So now it has come from a Canaanite God to the Lord of the flies to now in Jesus' time, it had its meaning as another term for Satan. The reason for Jesus' miracles, we don't doubt that he is performing miracles. We've seen them with his own eyes. But the reason that he's performing miracles in their own hearts and in their own minds, they've come to the conclusion that he was under the authority of Satan. Mm. How about God and his indescribable attributes in his creation and coming to the conclusion that we evolved from nothing. Their conclusion to the miracles and the works of God is it's from Satan. People will say Jesus is a liar. And these people come to the conclusion that he is ultimately against God. Even after all that they had seen, all that they had heard, all that they had witnessed themselves, this overwhelming evidence in the scriptures, they rejected the Holy Spirit's evidence that Jesus was God and that he himself was the Messiah the Christ, the Son of God. It's a very dangerous place to be. Now we get the response of Jesus. How will Jesus respond to these accusations? And he called them to him and said to them in parables. Now we're going to get to parables in the upcoming weeks, but parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus tells what is going on in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven through stories in which we can understand 
But he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom will not stand. Verse 25. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Essentially, Jesus' argument is, is if I'm possessed by Satan or if I come from Satan, why would I be against Satan? Right? That would make no sense. A house divided against itself will fall. He uses three words here to describe Satan's kingdom or his house. Kingdom, house, strong man. As describing what the war, the war is over, the eternal battle, the heavenly battle, the spiritual battle. You see, praise God that Jesus has come to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus has come for Satan's kingdom or his domain of darkness. To transfer us into the kingdom of his son. The next word, kingdom, house, strong man. Next word, house. He's come to take those who are in the household or the family of darkness and as sons of disobedience and adopted them as children of light. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Other places says you're heirs of righteousness. Sons and daughters of the king. So the third one that he uses this understanding of these parables, the kingdom, the house. He talks about Satan, but he talks about this strong man. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And Christ tells us something here, that he comes in the kingdom of God to bind the strong man who is Satan so that we could be set free. 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming from heaven, holding in his hand the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Ultimately, he's thrown into the lake of fire. But Jesus has come to bind the strong man so that people can be set free. Jesus obviously talks a lot about the spiritual war being waged for your soul. One of the issues that we face today as Christians is we're laissez-faire about the spiritual element in our world. We're not on guard against the schemes of the devil. We haven't put on the armor of God. No, Satan cannot have control of that which is the spirit controls. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Or in some translations, give a foothold to the devil. I'm going to take this rabbit trail for a moment. What does it look like for Satan to have a foothold in your life? What does it look like to Satan to be the strong man, to enter into your household? What does it look like for you to dabble in the kingdom of darkness? It looks like you believing lies about yourself or about God. Some of the lies in which I often encounter either through my own life or the people that we're counseling or, or, or shepherding or talking to in the streets. Some of the lies, I will never amount to anything. God can't love me for what I've done. These are lies. How about this lie? I'm not truly saved. I'm not a child of God. This one is another lie. Nobody cares about me or is concerned whether I live or whether I die. Another lie. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say in small group. That's a lie from Satan himself. How about this in your marriage? A lie from Satan. My spouse doesn't appreciate me. My spouse doesn't understand me. Maybe I'd be better off without them. It's a lie. How about the last few? God doesn't care about me. It's a lie. Jesus is not God. That is a lie. That's what we're talking about this morning. You see, the Bible speaks of the enemy's attack as a flaming dart. 
That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. It's like a flaming dart or arrow. Why is that flaming dart or arrow dangerous? Because if it pierces through, it begins to affect every single room in the house. Not just the place that it is pierced. It sets fire to the entire house. These lies are from Satan. These deep, depressive thoughts can lead to fear, which seemingly are inescapable. And as a result, sometimes not even knowing if, the, if it's the spirit of the living God speaking conviction to us or the enemy who's speaking condemnation over us. Sometimes you're even confused at who is speaking in your head. You know how the, to know that the spirit is actually speaking to you in conviction over sin? It comes with hope. Yes, the Spirit convicts us of sin, but gives a plan of redemption. It identifies what you need to change, gives you a plan to do it, and then gives assurances of your ability to accomplish it through His power. He who began a good work on, in you will carry it on to completion. So if you feel trapped as if there's no way out, those thoughts are not from God because God has provided a way of hope for you. But praise God for the one who came to plunder the strongholds of Satan, to bind the strong man in your life, in different aspects and areas of your life. And how does Christ plunder the house of Satan, the kingdom of Satan? How does he bind the strong man? He tells us in these next few verses, 28. Truly, I say to you, this is an important text of scripture because he says, essentially, amen, let it be done. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has forgiveness, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were see, saying he has an unclean spirit. I think the first thing we have to understand before we get to the unpardonable sin here or the eternal sin is understand what the first phrase is of this statement. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. That is an incredible statement. God forgives sinners. That's our second point this morning. We, we cannot forget that. God forgives sinners. God forgives those who are entrapped in the kingdom of darkness. We read it earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God, he worked while you were dead, while you were sons of disobedience, sons and daughters of disobedience following the prince and power of the air. God, he brought grace through Christ Jesus. Amen. Again, this is the theme of the gospel. Imperfect people will be saved by a perfect God who forgives their sin. 
My friends, if you're in Christ, the gospel says there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more and nothing that you have done to make God love you less because our faith is not in how good we are, but the finished work of Christ and the cross. How beautiful is that? The idea that Jesus, who is God, would give his life to forgive sinners is so great that it transforms every aspect of our life. And we allow the spirit of the living God to come in and bind the strongholds that we have built with Satan. We no longer live as one who is someone who is in bondage to sin because the king has come to set us free. He has paid our debt. We are no longer live under the condemnation of the devil. We live as children of God, not slaves to unrighteousness. We're not fearful of death. because Why? Because we will be resurrected with Christ. Our response to this great gospel is to recognize Jesus is Lord. And as a result of that, our life changes. Our lives are lived for the glory of God. Because God has made a provision for sin through Jesus Christ, the only question is, will you deny the evidence of the Spirit's work through the life of the Son who was sent from the Father? Will will you deny the evidence of the Spirit's working in your life. That's what he says here. Truly, I truly say to you, in verse 28, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is... The last point this morning, there is an eternal sin in which God will not forgive. There is an eternal sin in which God will not forgive. God will forgive sin, but he will not forgive the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. People can utter all kinds of blasphemes out there. But there is one that is unforgivable. It is against the Holy Spirit of the living God. You see, the Spirit's work is a testimony to Christ being the very Son of God. And we see it through Mark chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. It is a testimony of the Spirit of the living God that Jesus is God. The scribes here had come to the final conclusion, to their own final conclusion, that Jesus was not the Son of God. And as a result resisted and blasphemed the work of the Spirit through the life of Christ. Their hearts had grown hardened. 
They have rejected the Holy Spirit's overwhelming evidence to the works of God through Christ Jesus that Jesus is God. It's a lot like Pharaoh, right? The Lord gave an undeniable evidence that he is the Lord above all to Pharaoh. He shows him these plagues time after time after time, miracle after miracle after miracle. And what was Pharaoh's response to the wonderful works of God that he's seeing firsthand? Oh, my magicians, those sorcerers, they can do that. Thus, what happened? He hardened his heart. And they kept going on and on and time after time, God proving himself that he is the Lord above all. Until the magicians couldn't provide the same miracles. But it didn't matter to Pharaoh. Even after his magicians saying, this is the finger of God. We can't do these things. It's the finger of God. He hardened his heart time and time again. And finally it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart was so hard it wasn't coming back. And thus the hardened heart of Pharaoh was used for God's glory in his salvation through judgment. There's a warning here in Jesus' words. Those who reject the clear and undeniable truth of the work of the Spirit of the living God and the proclamation that Jesus is Lord is in danger of an eternal sin. It is an ongoing disposition of the heart that rejects the conviction of the Spirit of the living God as he reveals to you who Christ is. That is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. It is a sin a Christian cannot commit. Why? Because they have surrendered their life. Why? Because they believe Jesus is God. He is Lord. You know, see this testimony, even it, it still stands today, they witnessed it up close and personal. We witness it through the writing of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Mark. His conviction is the same as it was in the days of Jesus. One must make a decision. Who is this Jesus? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? One last thing, Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him.
there's a lot of response to this great good news in this gospel today. <clears throat> but the response that I really want everyone to hear is this. Allow the spirit of the living God to come into areas of your life in which you have not given full control to Jesus as Lord. There is struggle, and the struggle is real. I'm not unaware of the struggle and temptation to sin personally. But Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to come and bind the strong man in areas of your life. What are you waiting on? The truth is undeniable in which the Spirit convicts us of our sin and allows us the ability to come to him in faith. We'll have pastors up front that will be willing to pray with you. Now, don't get this wrong. If you, if you come forward, it doesn't mean that, that you're demon-possessed, all right? It just means that you're an imperfect human being who needs other people praying for you. That you want the Spirit to have full control of every aspect of your life, every area of your life. And maybe you have never given the Lord your life at all. You never surrendered your will to him and said, Jesus is Lord. I recognize that. I want to proclaim that. You can do that today as well as you talk to a pastor. The altar is open. We're going to spend a time in worship in response to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we contemplate who the king is in our own lives, may we be reminded that every aspect of our life reflects who we believe Jesus is. Father, may us not be laissez-faire or lazy and just saying Jesus was a good teacher. He's just something that I can nod to and move on with my own life. But help us to be people who surrender everything that we have. Father, would you call people in this room to repent of their sin? To give Christ full authority in their life. Maybe... Satan has taken up rent in, in areas that you own. We need to ask the Lord to clean it out. Father, give us wisdom and the ability to understand what you're doing in our hearts and minds. Father, will you speak through your spirit to our people this morning as they respond and worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's worship the Lord together as a people.